This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Wow, wow. The clock is ticking. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast in Ringer FC. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm so tired, Musa. <laughs> uh, actually, me too. It's my fault. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's my fault. What? It's your fault that I'm tired? It's my fault that I'm tired. Oh. Hopefully it's your fault that you're tired. I can't take responsibility for that. Uh, I've just not been sleeping very well. I don't know what's wrong. Maybe it's the... Uh, the NBA. I think it either... Yeah, it is. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. My excuse is I watched two Hamiltons yesterday. Lewis Hamilton and Hamilton the musical. Me and some mates have like a movie night where we watch movies every couple of weeks. And I was not expecting to enjoy it as much because of all the critiques of, around it. But as an execution of art, it's extraordinary. So that, that's why I'm tired because I stayed up late watching it. And then after that, I was up. Well, that's kind of my fault too. <laughs> you, know, you know how it is. You kind of just sit up late at night and just end up watching football highlights. Oh, what a nerd. Do you ever do that? No, we, we all, no, come on, listen, don't, I'm not the only one that does this. What a nerd. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes when you see something in a game and you're like, I want to see if that's happened somewhere else. And then you start, it opens up a whole wormhole because you start thinking, oh, like, I wonder how that person passes through that gap or takes that ball on that foot. And then you start about how Pulisic, like, like he's so fascinating because he takes the ball on his left foot so often, even though he doesn't always shoot with it. And like, I've never seen someone who's got such an amazing touch with their wrong foot. Like, it's unbelievable. Um, so yeah, just get into that. Well, that's a little bit generous, I think. Santi Cazorla. No, 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 no. Santi no I'm just, let's, let's move it on. Let's move it on. Who are you let's thinking of? Going? Are you thinking of Santi? I just think, it'll quite, I think quite a lot of professional footballers have decent touches with their wrong foot. His one is amazing though. Like he takes it at the top speed. Not wanting to get too into like tech stuff. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Part of the major difference between professional footballers and not professional footballers is the combination of using the first touch as like a control, but also setting up your second. Whereas a lot of people say at the level that we play at, we use one touch to control the ball. Yeah, yeah. Another one to move it into position and then a third one to play it. I might be wrong. I don't want to sound like I'm being argumentative, but I think it's quite common to see, no. say, for example, a right-footed player control the ball with their left foot really well. This but maybe, I maybe thought, I'm just... No, I, no, don't get me wrong. I thought it was. I really thought it was. But then I started thinking about it and I was like, I kept thinking, like, how many wingers do I know who can take the ball at full speed on the wrong foot? into their, I, I can't think of that many. I know that Pedro could do it to a good level. 
But Pulisic has got a better touch than Pedro, I think. I, I love Pedro. It's just this, he takes it on the volley. He takes it on the, mm. do you know what I mean? Like, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. I don't, it's, it's good to argue. No, no. I mean, it's actually, no, because I think it's something that I just never, haven't really ever thought about because it doesn't really seem that abnormal to me, but maybe I'll have to go and, go and, no, and it's, it's a, oh, maybe it, I'll have to stay up late and watch some highlights of people worry, taking the ball on their wrong foot. It's good to argue. People like it when we argue, apparently. So, you know, it's all good. Hey, we're not arguing. We're just, uh, well, I suppose we are. Yeah, Shut but- up, Musa. <laughs> <laughs> Roll next for life. Stop it. <laughs> Roll next for life. Sorry, okay, let's get into it. Sorry, so I'm being silly. No, you're not being silly at all. I mean, speaking of Pulisic, where it was obviously FA Cup weekend this weekend, FA Cup final weekend. He scored the opening goal in what ended up being a 2-1 win for Arsenal at Wembley. Weirdly, obviously, everyone knows I'm, I'm an Arsenal fan, but I didn't feel... I didn't feel really that nervous going into the game for some reason. It kind of felt like a bit of a free hit for me. Right. Arsenal have been so poor this season. They kind of felt that they didn't really deserve a trophy, if that makes sense. Mm. Now, obviously, that's a bit of a contradiction because obviously you get to the you get to a final of a competition and you win it, you deserve a trophy. But do you know what I mean? It was it was a bit like from a fan perspective, this season has been so weird. Yeah, it just felt strange. I don't know if you felt the same same way as a game. Yeah, I thought. It's going to sound a bit weird, but it felt like the Champions League final 2013 when Dortmund came out, surged out, and then Bayern Munich gradually won the arm wrestle. And watching Arsenal just kept playing football. This is the thing about Arsenal. It's been so impressive, right? These three big signature victories, Chelsea, Liverpool, and Man City. Liverpool was a different one. It was a bit of a, you know, there was kind of chance there around there. but they, proper smash and grab. They kept playing football. Like they didn't, they didn't panic Arsenal. And this is what is so encouraging for them. And they're getting performances from players like Maitland-Niles who are kind of like, not on their way out, but kind of like maybe sort of um, now or never type moments where you know, the next sort of year, the next 12 months, the Maitland-Niles felt like at one point, okay, this is crucial. And now he's played his way back into contention. Mm. Arteta is getting better performances from players. He's having them from players who were struggling on, before. They're playing with greater freedom. Like it felt strange because, I mean, obviously the empty stadium and all the rest of it, but beyond that, it was really impressive to watch like a coach thinking. And like, you know, this is a, not that Lampard wasn't, and Lampard got very unlucky with those two injuries, which say a lot about, you know, the, the physical pressure these players have been put under as Piliqueta and Pulisic, you know, the lamp with the hamstrings gone. It felt... I can see how it felt like a free hit for you, but to me it was like, wow, what an incredible shot in the arm this is for Arteta. Oh what, yeah, absolutely. What, I mean, this is obviously just to, just to yeah, of course, clarify yeah, what I mean by that. Like before the game, in the yeah. build up to the game, I didn't have the usual kind of FA Cup dread. Yeah, okay, no, fair enough. And that's what I mean by the, but from a fan's perspective, that's what I mean by a bit of a free hit. For, it, everything yeah. has been so weird this season that it kind of, obviously I wanted to win the game as an Arsenal fan, but I didn't have that initial FA Cup buzz and I think a lot of that will be down to the fact that it's just just, everything is so weird at the moment but yeah I mean in terms of the game itself I think you're totally right I think I think Chelsea started really well Mm. and looked super dangerous I think the goal was was totally with the run of play and it was a lovely goal as well like some quite poor Arsenal defending I thought that led to it but in that tight space in the box Pulisic just I mean the thing that's been really impressive about Chelsea and Pulisic this season, I think, is that 
like you were saying, Arsenal have had these statement victories over the last few weeks, but I think Pulisic is now starting to put in more statement performances. Yes, yes. And, you know, scoring in an FA Cup final is just another one. Mm, Yeah. After that first drinks break, something seemed to shift. And Arteta's been quite good at using those drinks breaks. Arsenal started to play a little bit better after that. Looks less nervous. Started to get a little bit more control of the midfield as well, which I actually think in, in the end proved to be, apart from obviously Aubameyang, but I think that was probably the key area on the pitch. There was something about that Chelsea midfield that just didn't really ever feel fully settled. I don't know if you noticed that, but Kovacic and Jorginho, I don't think are a great two together. Neither offer, do you know what it is? They don't offer sufficient contrast to each other. I, well, I think that's, that's, that's exactly it. I mean, if you look at Arsenal's, they have Granit Xhaka and Danny Ceballos as the two. Yeah. One is quite mobile and busy and frantic and the other one is a little bit more screeny. Yeah. I was surprised to see both sides playing three at the back because I thought that Chelsea could have really exploited midfield a lot better if they'd maybe added another body in there mm. and let the other two kind of push on the Arsenal back. back also, you isolate, you isolate Aubameyang. You isolate Aspilicueta horribly against Aubameyang's pace on that side of a, you know, if you don't have him as a right back and as a centre back, then you're basically saying, you be, if you basically make Aspilicueta the default shoulder mm. for Aubameyang to run off, which you effectively do with the back three, you're saying, come at me. And, as, and Aubameyang just, he loved it. I mean, that's what happened for the first goal, right? Yeah, yeah. It was very similar to the goal that Aubameyang, well, it, it didn't end up in a goal because it ended up in a penalty, but the goal that Aubameyang scored against Manchester City, the second one. Yes. Like that little outlet ball down the left-hand side from Tierney. And no one catches him. Yeah, no one catches him. Yeah. It's something that Arsenal have deployed a few times, actually, since, since returning. It's really good because he moves like a winger, Aubameyang, doesn't he? Mm. he? He moves really well centrally, but he knows how to make the wide, the run from outside. In. I mean, it's kind of an Henri thing, isn't it? Um, but what I want to, I mean, the channel, the inside channel. Mm. What is interesting about the Kovacic, just to come back to that, it reminds me of when United used to field Fellaini and Matic and you're basically just inviting pressure. Mm. That's the problem with that midfield. It basically says, we're not going to like press you. Like Kovacic and... Jorginho are not going to press you. They're going to sit off you. You're kind of giving them this like free zone between your strikers and your midfield, which they didn't exploit it. They completely, I mean, Chaka had his fun and ended up getting Kovacic well. He got the, got the two yellows on. Yeah, was, let's maybe talk about that in a little bit because I want to come on to that. Sure, okay, yeah, yeah, sure thing. But yeah, you're right. As a tactic, the inside left channel, I'm sure it's one that other teams will be wiser to next season, but this year it's really profited. And shout yeah. out to Maitland Niles who helped exploit it because he was great in that role. Then, yeah, obviously Arsenal get the penalty. I think it was def- definitely a penalty, right? Yeah. It, look, it looked yeah. like it started outside. Didn't the contact started outside, but carried on in the box. Yeah, I mean, if it continues in, it's a penalty. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, there didn't seem to be too many complaints from, mm. from people. But then 10 minutes later, Aspilicueta, after giving away the penalty, goes off with a really nasty looking hamstring injury. Yeah. And I think this is just something that you're seeing now with, I mean, Chelsea have obviously had Pulisic go off in the second half with a really nasty looking injury. How the hell he managed to carry on with a few steps before trying to finish? Anyone that's ever done a hamstring. That is so painful. That is agony. Yeah. And you can see him screaming on the replay. Anyone listening who's done a hamstring, any, those who know, know. Oh. It feels like someone's sticking a knife in the back of your thigh. You know, it's, it's like barbed wire in your veins. Yeah, it's just it's it's, grim. Oh, it's absolutely horrific. Oh man. 
Yeah. So to continue even those steps and get a shot away was... He was want- he wanted to score before going... He was going for the 2-1. That yeah. is the most... I know, that's so... Like, that's hero ball. That is hero ball. hero ball. Yeah, that is gangster. I hope he's okay. Do you know what's funny? There was a moment I was watching this game thinking, I know that a lot of people are critical of the five subs because the fact it will benefit big teams. And I get that and I sympathise with that view. I also think there are a load of medical professionals around the Premier League right now going, thank God, why the hell did we not do this years sooner? Because obviously the Premier League has got way, way faster like in terms of the kind of the intensity of the game, the sprints over the last 10 years alone. And I'm sure there's a lot of medical professionals going, thank God, like they just need, we need this flexibility in the squad. We need this depth and this recovery time. If you look at this game as an example, mm. Chelsea could have had two forced substitutions through injuries in the cup final that could have put them in a really tricky position. Yes. Let's fast forward on quickly to Aubameyang's second because much like Pulisic's goal, yeah. this was the other real, I thought, moment of magic in the game. Mm. And it's a goal that I've not really seen Aubameyang score a huge amount. It reminded me actually weirdly a little bit of the Cazorla goal against Newcastle in 2015, I think I want to say. That's funny. No, it reminded me of a different one, but no, go on, go and carry on. Oh, no, no. Which one did you think of? Robbie Fowler scores four goals against, I think it was uh, Middlesbrough yeah. in a 5-1. And the final goal, he basically goes tap dancing against the, and it's also similar, it's, it's, it's almost slightly similar to um, when Thierry Henry was hunting down Chris Perry in the derby and Perry didn't know which way he was going to go. And what was amazing about this goal was that, firstly, that Aubameyang compared it to Ian Wright, one of Ian Wright's finishes. Mm. And the other thing that's great is that you see the thought process. You see the actual, when he talks about it afterwards going, Zuma knows what I like to do. So I use that against him. I was like, he likes, he knows I like the right foot finish into the bottom corner. So basically showed him that. And that's, if it was, Rio Ferdinand says that um, Zuma's feet are planted square. Yeah. But that's funny because Zuma is expecting the far post. Yeah. Like he's so complacent, not complacent, no. He's so convinced that that's what Aubameyang's going to do, that his body language is like, you're not going to go to the other side. That's not what you, you that's not what you play. But I mean, actually, it's, it's kind of the victory is defeated, you think? Yes, Zuma, exactly. Zuma's done, Zuma's done too much research. Yes. Zuma so, is too well read in that situation. That's a brilliant point. I love it when strikers explain their goals or anyone explains their moves because it makes you realise they're calculating in real time. Oh, they're doing a million micro calculations a second. Yeah, and it's, it's not just... and it's not instinct. It's not like, oh my God, they just like, no, they don't. Robbie no, Fowler yeah. against Middlesbrough had scored three times already and he was like, it's now become training ground. That's the thing, what rem- that's what it was. It reminded me of the training ground. You're in such a good flow and Aubameyang's been in such a good flow in this tournament, mm. in this stadium. Like in this stadium, he'd finished at that end, like in the, yeah. other, in the semi. He was so in his zone. He was like, this is my area. This is my thing. These are my defenders. That Michael Jordan thing, you own the ball, you own the crowd, you own the man that's guarding you. And I'm like, he looked so confident. Like even when he, the moment he beat Zuma on the dribble, you were like, this is in. Mm. I don't even know how he's going to finish it, but it's in. He could go round the keeper at this point. Oh, he's floated it over him with his left foot. I tweeted after the goal that said the only thing that could have made that lovelier was if Hector had gone all the way himself. In a way, like, I was kind of semi-expecting Hector to do, do the Fabregas against Spurs second goal when they were still showing the replay <laughs> to the first goal thing. Yeah, yeah. And just burst through. Yeah, it was just lovely to see Hector kind of bursting forward a bit. But 
Um, Chelsea obviously had another couple of problems with obviously Pulisic going off injured. Pedro suffering what looks like a really nasty shoulder injury right at the end. And then obviously Kovacic's red card was never a second yellow card. No, I don't no, think. no, no, no. Yeah, I just can't see in a million years how that's a yellow card. And I think actually Anthony Taylor had a weird game. He made some really, really poor decisions for both sides, but I think he made more poor decisions against Chelsea. Obviously, it's hard to tell how much the sending off would have affected Chelsea for that last quarter of an hour. I think the injuries were more costly. Oh, yeah, by a distance. Well, those two are irreplaceable. Like, as Pellicretta, I mean, he did struggle against Maitland Niles and Aubameyang. He did. I mean, I, I actually, you know, he's a very good defender. So it's more to Maitland Niles' credit than to his discredit as Pellicretta. But just his leadership on the field was vital, especially such a young yeah, team. I mean, losing your captain is, yeah. is massive. And then Pulisic is the leader of your attack. He's the guy that makes that whole thing gel. Like Mason Mount's great, but he's not an orchestrator like that. Lampard afterwards, I think it was funny because it, it was a free hit final for him too. I think this is the most free yeah, hit I final agree, we've yeah. seen for two big clubs. It was almost like two clubs discovering themselves. And of course, the fact that they're both former players, there's a sense of regaining returning identity and that this is a good season for Lampard yeah I mean weirdly I don't think it was a free to hit for Arteta uh, at all actually I think it was actually massive for Arsenal to win this I think this and I'm going to write a piece um, for the ringer this week about kind of success in context because it because I wrote a posted a thing afterwards saying that um, I think that this felt more significant than 2015 and 2017 and some people were just like not sure how winning the FA Cup is ever significant anymore. Or there were some people who said, yeah, it really was. And it got me thinking actually that this idea of, of success now or how we judge success has completely been blown apart over the last 20 years. Mm. And how we look at it through quite a binary way. I mean, some people said that last season, the, you know, nothing happened after the Europa League final last season. Well, first of all, they lost it. So the goal was to get back into into the Champions League so it wasn't success second of all I think that I don't want to give too much of the piece away because I'm going to expand this out into wider things as well but Arsenal needed to weirdly be broken a little bit more before they could get fixed again and they're not fixed but I think they're in the process you can see a path now yes yes and before you really couldn't because I think we also become jaded in England about how much weight the FA Cup holds elsewhere And I think this is where we also get jaded about how much weight clubs in the Premier League hold elsewhere, which is why you've historically seen Liverpool and Arsenal be able to sign fairly well Mm. or attract players at points in their trajectories that they probably shouldn't have. Like, Arsenal shouldn't have really been in a position to sign Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang a few years ago. No. Really. No. And I said before that personally, I didn't think that a year out of Europe would have been the worst thing in the world for Arsenal next right. season in terms of a coaching point of view. However, if you get to a final, you want to win it because the damage that it does not winning it. What's interesting is the reaction to Arsenal getting into Europe has been interesting. There's been so much happiness that you're like, oh, no, it's only social media, but I'm like, people wanted this. Mm. People wanted this. Like at a level where you don't acknowledge it, sometimes you're scared to wish for it because you're thinking too many fixtures. But actually now you're thinking we have a winning team and here's the crucial thing. I think people are finally realising just how good Arteta is. Like, he's really good. If you look at the path that they've had to the final, they've not kind of lucked out. They played Sheffield United away. Oh my God, brutal. Yeah, yeah. Manchester City in the semi-final, Chelsea in the final. They had to win it. Everything is like a little bit of belief there. You know, if Arteta can go and sit down with Aubameyang, and Arteta seemed really confident about Aubameyang signing, mm. which I 
I don't think he would say unless he had had some kind of conversation with him. What's a power move? <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Arteta can say things to that dressing room and they can be heard in a way that, say, someone like Unai Emery couldn't. Yeah. It holds a different weight. And we do have this thing about how ex-players becoming managers just because they're ex-players. But when you have the balance of both, Pep is a prime example. You come in and you're Pep and you get people to buy into this belief that you have and then people realise that you're actually a genius and you also played under Cruyff. Yes. This could be one of the most significant ones, I think. Do you know I'm backing it? The reason I, I'm actually going a bit bolder on it than that, even, the way, just looking from outside, because not being an Arsenal fan, you see it from outside, the way he handled the Ozil situation, the way he handled Guendouzi, like, you're looking at that and thinking, and, and David Luiz, the beauty of playing under Arteta, whether you're there already or whether you're arriving is, anyone can play themselves in or out of contention. As a competitive animal, which professional footballers assuredly always are, that is really exciting. The thought of moving to Arsenal and making a name for yourself, the thought of coming in as the fifth choice midfielder and knowing that you might end up as the main midfielder because Arteta is, he's got this nice mix of loyalty, but also rewarding, like he rewards his, he's loyal to his consistent performance, but he also rewards people that are really making a go of it. And here's yeah, merit, the thing as well. Merit. merit, exactly. And you look at this as well, you look at Bamiyang. Abamyang is interesting because if he looks around Europe at this point, there are not that many forward lines where he naturally fits. And if you look at Arsenal, a dressing way, people are happy. You look at London, you're earning good money. People like you. You've got a great spirit there. Why the hell would you leave that? I think this is an interesting summer, actually. Maybe this is something we'll go on to. I mean, maybe wrapping up the actual final as a whole, I think I would say that Arsenal probably shaded it. God, they were helped with some situations. I think Chelsea did not have the luck at all. They did not. Is this the most uncle final we've ever seen though? Yeah, actually. Is it the most uncle final with Didier Drogba? Yeah. <laughs> uncle Didier watching at home and Uncle Ian watching in the studio. <laughs> Shouting man on to Rob Holding. Exactly. Incredible, incredible scene. But yeah, going back to what you're saying about like, why would Aubameyang leave? I think there are many reasons why he would leave. I think the thing that makes it interesting this year is, well, A, the pandemic has just completely derailed so much. And if you look around who the obvious candidates would have been, Real Madrid won't sign, I don't think, because I don't think they have space. I don't think Barcelona have the money. No, exactly. I think this is where geography really helps because being in London, the partnership with Lacazette, and he's really embraced being captain. He seems super happy. Now, you never know. I mean, and I yeah. think that Arteta has a lot of convincing to do. But in terms of where, I think in terms of a stability point of view, I think Arsenal now are a lot more stable than they were in November. Yeah. And they're not out of the woods by any means, but it's like we've said before, you, you, you now have the guy, a guy in charge who A, people want to play for, because people will want to play for Arteta. B, people seem really happy under, just the pure body language, people seem completely different to what they were like under Emery. Mm. And someone who has the tactical chops, but also the authority yes. to be like, give us money. Right. He has the authority to go up against the board and challenge them in a way that no one has done since Wenger, which actually hasn't been that long, yeah. if you think about it. However, it's a younger, fresher, dynamic, more dynamic manager. This isn't me being Arsenal biased here at all, because anyone who has listened to Stadio this season will know that I will be the first to criticise them. and Sometimes maybe the last to praise them, actually. Yeah, But all things considered, and I mean all things considered, I think staying put 
might suit him. Yeah, and I just I just hope they pay him because I can't name five. That's key. I yeah. can't I can't name five better centre forwards in the world than Aubameyang. No, I can't. I, can't. I think he is. I think he is actually underrated in that to that extent. I, I agree. I think actually. that people, if people rattle off names, they'll think of like Lewandowski, Aguero. They'll go, but actually, I don't think his name will come up immediately, and that's a mistake because I think he would materially improve almost any attack in the world. And the only attacks he would not improve are those where the only attack he would not improve is Bayern because Lewandowski is that one. But every other yeah, but forward bear line, in mind this is a guy who doesn't even play centre forward. Yeah, I mean, he's unbelievable. Really? Yeah, you're you right. So, so? Yeah, he could improve, put it this way, he would improve any forward line in the world. Pay him. Yeah, definitely pay him. Um, so it was Arsenal's 14th FA Cup victory, which matches Arsenal women's FA Cup oh, victories. Wow. So Reckon both that. men and the women's are the record. They were, the, they were both the record FA Cup holders. Anyway, Arsenal have now joined the women on 14. Arsenal have won ten percent of all FA Cup finals. Wow, which is a pretty wild stat. It was the hundred, well, a little bit more actually. It was the hundred thirty ninth FA Cup final, I do believe. Arsenal have won fourteen. Isn't it weird because Arsenal get criticised so much for like choking certain games, but they're, they're, they're the world's <laughs> biggest catfish. Yeah, but biggest cat. They're like a big. They're like a big game team. The Association Catfish Trophy. Yes. That's what it should have been. <laughs> Go for a break? Yeah, let's go for a break. Let's do it. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, Visit JiffyLube.com. Jedi are being murdered. On June 4th, Star Wars returns only on Disney+. Plus. I didn't do it. Believe me. She was my student. Let me be the one to bring her in. Now she is a student of the dark side. An acolyte. Star Wars The Acolyte, two episode premiere June 4th, only on Disney+. Plus. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
All right, we're back from the break. Let's talk about Eddie Howe. Yes. So I had this question from Words Fail Me on Twitter. It said, what do you think Eddie Howe needs to do next to go beyond his achievements at Bournemouth? Clearly a really good manager, but seems to have hit a ceiling. Now, obviously, for those who don't know, Eddie Howe and Bournemouth parted company by mutual consent on the weekend, which we expected. Okay, can I throw this in? Go to a club with a really, really strong structure in terms of recruitment. I'm not sure how responsible Eddie Howe was for the recruitment, who they brought in. They brought in some expensive players who didn't really have the impact in the last 18 months of his tenure. Um, and I think that, you know, managers can go stale, but I think that, I still think he's a very good coach. Mm. I still think he's a very good coach and he, he's proven he can improve players. But I just feel like for him to go somewhere next, and it, it happens to all managers, anyone can go stale at any time and it's a really mm. well coached Premier League. You know, you, you're coming off the boil one year, you will get trumped. Maybe someone like, I don't know, like Holland or someone like that or somewhere, somewhere mm. abroad. We've talked about going abroad. I think the Bundesliga is a good move for him. I okay. think Spain yeah. would be quite fun. But I think the Bundesliga culturally is probably a better fit for him in terms of football. Yeah, okay. What, what club? You were saying Hoffenheim, weren't you? Or something like that. Well, we actually joked about this last season, didn't we? Where we said like Hoffenheim would be a shout after Nagelsmann. Mm. But I think that's probably too similar to Bournemouth. If you think about the club environment, it's very, very serene. They do a lot of really, really great local community work and stuff like yeah. this at Hoffenheim. Hmm. In the Bundesliga. It's a really tough question, actually. Do you know where it might be a shout, actually, is Schalke. Do you know what? I like that a lot. Because they're, they're going to be training with a lot of young players. Yes. Um, David Wagner has not done well. The problem there with Schalke has been the quality. I mean, Wagner's struggled, but the quality of Schalke has been substandard. I just worry. I, I love the idea of how to Schalke. I don't know if communication will be an issue. I was talking to a friend about this and he said, like, the big problem they have is that, you know, it's really hard problems attracting elite managers who speak mm. good German because that final level of communication does matter. Oh yeah, absolutely. Having said all that, how at Schalke is really intriguing. The culture, the club, the vibe, the energy, and they need, you know, they need a like, they need a positive story. They need, Schalke need, not necessarily a, per- a personality, they don't need like a big personality, like a kind of clock. They need like an ethos, an ethos guy. Someone mm. that gets in there and helps them reconnect with their base. And I think, I think you're right. He could be a guy to do it. Yeah, maybe he takes a championship job. You never know. Yeah, good point. Good point. Um, I mean, there's some big clubs in the championship. I just feel like if he went abroad, particularly to Spain or Germany, they're actually more forgiving of relegation in those places. Those are countries and clubs which are more used to working within their means. I mean, you look at Leganes. Leganes aren't the best run clubs in Europe who went down. A good manager doesn't become bad overnight just because of one relegation. No, I mean, Klopp got relegated with Mainz. Exactly. Nearly got Dortmund relegated in his final I wonder if there's more pragmatism here in the mainland about that stuff because maybe and this is a maybe a slight thing I just get the impression that maybe the coaches are slight are valued slightly more yeah in the in, in, in specific not not all over the continent because I mean Real Madrid just they hire and fire more than anyone but I think in, maybe in specific countries the coaching culture is such that you're not a bad manager just because you went down yeah I mean do you know what would be quite interesting actually is Werder Bremen but I think oh my probably, that, I mean, okay now that is tasty do you know mm. why because you've been to Bremen that is a lovely city. Like, I think, it's actually I got think Eddie Bournemouth. Howard fit in quite well there. Do you know what? It's actually got big Bournemouth, big Bournemouth energy. Yeah, he, he, Kofeld's got the touch of the, uh, the Eddie Howes about him actually as well. <laughs> I like that a lot. Maybe it's just a straight swap. I like that Sense a lot. Send Kofeld to, to, to Bournemouth. 
Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, let's move on because we had a few questions about the Newcastle situation. It's something we've not really talked about that much because, well, first of all, a lot of this was happening when the pandemic was on and we were doing the conceptual episodes. So, yeah. We had a couple of questions, one from Cheeky Ball Boys saying, did English football dodge a bullet with the Newcastle deal falling through or is this just a minor obstacle delaying another state-backed mega club? There was another one from Ravinda Clare who said, should there be more transparency in the Premier League's owners and directors test? Newcastle fans have been put through the ringer for the last four months, yet they're none the wiser regarding why this takeover hasn't gone through aside from a one-sided explanation from the buyer's side. Long story short, Offer came in, fronted by a consortium that ultimately Saudi government were looking to buy Newcastle. And after months of protracted to and fro, the deal gets called off by the potential buyers, citing financial uncertainty, the markets, and so on. I think the hailstorm of scrutiny did not help the acquisition. I don't think that helped. Mm -hmm. The political context, Mm. heavy criticism of Saudi policy, both internal and external, didn't help. And the way I want to look at this, and I suppose you as well, just to frame in terms of the wider context of ownership of clubs. And I've said this before, but it goes back to the fit and proper person's test to own a football club, which is back to Shinawatra. You go back to Roman Abramovich buying Chelsea. And look, here's the thing. I'm not going to be here and be partisan. Anyone that listens to this podcast, they know I'm a United fan. But here's the thing. I'm a football fan first and foremost. And I am really happy when fans have solid investment from owners they can clearly identify and who they're happy with. And now here's the thing. Newcastle have been through absolute hell under Mike Ashley. And I don't want for a moment on this podcast to diminish that suffering or to diminish the sense of relief they would have felt when they had a new owner who was ready to put money into the club. And I think the thing about this you think about the Saudi ownership of Newcastle United. Newcastle fans listening to this, a lot of them might think, well, you only care when we want to get a good owner and you're not here when we don't. It's not really about that. This is actually about, there, there are a few clubs I respect in the Premier League more than Newcastle. A few clubs I think deserve amazing ownership and like amazing investment, all of that. I would just like to say on the record that I think that this situation would not have been ideal. I don't think it would have, I think even with if the Saudi government had taken over, if the, the club had been acquired, I think the road would have been unbelievably bumpy because Abu Dhabi has been criticised for their ownership, right? And we've seen that, you know, there's a lot of investigative reporters who've gone in there and talked about stuff. James Montague, Ian McGeech, and so many have talked about that. I think that this level of ownership and scrutiny, I think it would have been unprecedented. I don't think Newcastle United fans would have enjoyed it because I think it would have presented challenges, not just finan- not financial. I think that financially the money would have been available to us. I just think that in the long run, the juice would not have been worth the squeeze. And while I'm sympathetic to Newcastle fans, I'm not saying I don't want you to get invested. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying this road would have been far, far more bumpy than you might have anticipated. There's a couple of things here. I think that basically the thing that troubles me, we've got to a point now where fans are arguing on behalf of sovereign states that aren't their own who are into buying their football clubs or who own their football clubs. We've seen it with certain Man City fans with regards to the cast stuff and UEFA and we've seen it with people who are maybe PSG fans and all of this kind of stuff as well. It pushes football fans into arguments that they should not be having to have. 
Yeah. And that's because football fans are tribal. And that's not necessarily a criticism. Football right. fans back their football team. Yes. A lot of football fans are biased towards their own football team because it's their football team. If you're not privy to all of that information, then it does just look like the Premier League have just decided that, no, your club can't be successful, which isn't true. Mm. But ultimately, I don't think that's actually fans' fault at all. Newcastle have a terrible owner. Yeah. Mike Ashley is a dreadful owner. Right. If you are unaware of Mike Ashley, he owns a company called Sports Direct. Sports Direct are, are, are notorious for their very, very, very ropey practices. Newcastle fans have put up with this for years. Right. However, it's like you said before, the first out isn't the right out. I mean, I, I believe that Newcastle will be bought by either a consortium or an owner who is far more engaged with the football club, maybe far more engaged with the city, which is what I would prefer them. I would yes. really love someone like a rich cons- a consortium from Newcastle or around the region to come together and buy that football club because Newcastle is such a special football club. And if you've ever been to Newcastle, St. James's Park sits almost at the top. Of, I mean, if you go to like these cities yeah. in Europe, you go to somewhere like Bratislava and there are castles on hills yeah. in the middle of the city that dominate the skyline. That's what St. James's Park's like. It's like it's a incredible. cathedral that overlooks the entire city and you can see it from multiple points of the city. That football club dominates the city. And I feel for Newcastle fans, yeah, it must be super frustrating not having, A, not having Ashley out, but also not having a massive influx of money. But this is a club that is so ingrained in the fabric of that city that it wasn't the one. Right, I don't get, I don't, yeah, and this is, I love what you've said because here's the thing, Newcastle as a club, and identify, I've been lucky enough to spend some time up there as a club, as a city, it's incredible. I don't get how it hasn't attracted better investment. I'm not a money person. My only suspicion is that whoever would want to buy Newcastle is someone who'd have to look at it as a long-term project. You know what I mean? Like a, like a long-term project because it's like, we spend 10 years on this like, and do the whole regeneration thing and this place just booms. And I think it has to be like, I think it has to be like a long-term project of like, we're going to do this, 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 and this. Not just the, um, the club, but the city. Whoever mm. does it, and I know that word was hated when Gary Cook came in and talked about a holistic project, it was, it was ridiculed. But actually, there are criticisms of Man City's ownership, which have been made, which are valid. And there's also what some of Man City's employees have done in and around the city. Well, I mean, yeah, and this w- is the thing. I mean, sorry to cut in quickly, but yeah, having course, yeah. obviously moved to Berlin from Manchester, yes, the amount of work that Manchester City did do in terms of regeneration and projects around the city was unbelievable. Genuinely. And I know that you can say, well, yeah, but, yeah, but, and I know that I'm not. We're not naive. Yeah, we're not naive. But I'm saying that it was genuinely quite impressive, actually. And this is the thing. No Newcastle fans will be no comfort to them hearing any of this because it's really painful to still be in the hands of an owner like that who clearly doesn't seem to like running the club, doesn't seem to like the city, doesn't seem to like anything other than self-enrichment has utter contempt for the fan base as well. Exactly. I think this is where the the fans will get really frustrated is that how does Ashley qualify or how do other people qualify? I mean, you've seen how many poor practices there have been throughout the Football League. Yes. A number of football clubs falling into the hands of owners who should never have been able to buy the football club. Right. Yeah. And this is where the real point is for me. This is a Newcastle specific thing. It's not even a club specific. You could write owner X and club X. Yes. It doesn't matter. It's another 
example of football's inability to check itself at multiple levels before it gets to this point. Yes. There are a number of people who's never been let anywhere near Premier League football clubs or football league clubs. And also, if I'm being brutally honest, and this may be me being naive and idealistic, there should have been far greater protection for the makeup of football clubs in England. Yeah. Because since the birth of the Premier League, the football clubs have been taken further and further away out of hands' hands. I'm an Arsenal fan. I would rather Arsenal be in the hands of different people, 100%, as I'm sure you would be with Manchester oh, United okay. and the Glazers. My football club is the world's biggest sporting overdraft. Yeah, it's basically it run really like, is, yeah. It's been run like a revolving credit facility. Basically, you look at it, it's like a high street bank. And mm. the way the Glazers have treated it, they bought a club that was superbly well run and they bought it with a load of debt and just load the debt onto it. And like, they've been creaking under that weight. Yeah, for ages. The thing that will frustrate fans, I think, is that why is the Premier League deciding to make a stand now? And this is where I totally get it. Because the Premier League has just been chasing the buck for however long. And we've said this before with European football on the whole. As long as the price is right, no one really cares. Mm. And unfortunately, when you gallivant off chasing the money like that, without actually considering or trying to balance that with a moral obligation to the sport, which sounds so kind of idealistic I know but let's get fucking real like these football clubs were born out of like social institutions right they're not franchises the Premier League is the richest football league in the world but it's come at a massive price yeah it has what we thought our football clubs were they aren't anymore and they haven't been for ages this isn't new but just because they're not it doesn't mean that we should actively be seeking them to become even further removed from what we thought they were right. just because it means that we, we might compete for titles or have more money. Absolutely right. I agree with that completely. We've spoke about this a number of times before and we spoke about it when UEFA gave their ruling against Manchester City, which obviously has subsequently been overturned by Cass. But we said fans shouldn't be in a position where they are arguing on behalf of sovereign states who own their football clubs. That very sentence, sovereign states owning football clubs, is wild. It should never have been allowed to happen. But it's done now and the damage is is really, really hard to undo. Right. And I just also would say that in the huge world out there, I just have to believe and I have faith that there's an owner out there who aligns really closely with Newcastle as a club and Newcastle as a city. And Mm -hmm. I just say this again. I think that supporters over time, over the next few years, would have found it really, really difficult because they would have found themselves put in, and I say this as someone that looks at the Gulf region quite a lot politically, you know, something I pay a lot of attention to. Over time, their support of their club and their ownership would have been very, very difficult to reconcile over time Mm. for a significant, not for all, but for a significant proportion of the fan base. And I think it would have just caused internal tensions that would have been really, really painful and that the club itself did not deserve that's what I feel. And I've always felt, I would have felt that with United when they were looking at us. Like, so I think it's the same for me too. Yeah. 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 Um, so we have a couple of questions. Yeah. Why not? A couple of questions. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this one from Amina Iwazo. Is there a shakeup in managerial spots in Italy? Does Sari stay? Does Conte stay? Now, obviously Serie A wrapped on the weekend. The kind of top four was pretty much settled. 
Mm. in terms of teams in there but not in terms of positions so uh, Juve had obviously clinched the title Inter finished a point behind them uh, Atalanta were third and Lazio fourth Roma fifth Milan sixth I mean we mentioned this on the last one how I wouldn't be surprised if Sarri lost his job mm. and they went on to, after someone like Poch strange season for Juventus won the league but lost a huge amount of points from winning positions really ground it out Huge for Sarri, of course, because that's a crowning glory for him. But yeah, like it's Juventus. His job is not necessarily safe. And I think him moving on wouldn't shock me. Mm. I'm not sure how much of a challenge that would be for Pochettino. I'm not sure how much he'd enjoy a league where you're so clearly the front runner. Still think he needs to go to Dortmund. Oh my goodness, that'd be perfect. That's the perfect appointment as far as I can mm-hmm. see. It's incredible. Pochettino at Dortmund is legit scary for Bayern. And for Europe, because he goes there. Also with Yusufa Makoko coming through the youth mm-hmm. ranks, that incredible forward that a few of us will check, a few of you will check out already. Yusufa Makoko, like that guy is coming through. He, he is possibly the only reason why a club like Dortmund would be unafraid of losing Holland in three or four years, just because he's that, he's that amazing. He really is the real deal. Um, yeah, I could see Sarri going. Could you see Conte going? There's talk I can of see that. Conte there's, going. Though. There's talk of that. There's talk of Conte going. Not sure where to, but that doesn't matter because Conte can go anywhere. He can pitch up anywhere and win stuff. Yeah. yeah I don't know. I mean, he seems to be building something decent at, you know, the no, I agree. Count, look, count your whisperer, as you called him earlier. I mean, the way that man has resurrected careers. Like, hairlines. Yeah. <laughs> listen, <laughs> shout out to Ashley Young. Put it this way. Who could have anticipated any manager in Europe could get those performances out of Ashley Young. Almost no other manager in Europe would have looked at Ashley Young and gone, I'm going to use this guy. Conte would have given him a dossier and gone like, you're going to do this, this, this. And he did all of it. He's been mm. superb. Yeah. Victor Moses too. Even to the point where he's been offering incredible COVID advice on social distancing. Do you remember that? Yeah. He was, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, that's Ashley Young of the Aston Villa days. Mm. The leadership, the inventiveness, the sparkiness, like he's got his mojo back. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I like that inside. I like it a lot. They might be runaway winners of the uh, best squad kit combo. I actually had, to, I had them for a catfish, actually. Did you? Yeah, they're actually into a slightly a catfish. Yeah, they I mean, are. they should have won the league this season. They should have, they should have. And that really was... It drew 10 games. Yes. And they kept imploding. I'd watch them. I'd be like, oh my gosh, you're actually a catfish mm. because you have the tools, but there's something in you that's afraid. Yeah. Yeah. Let's have one final question before we go. Let's do it. We had this from Fedi Pramel about, he said, basically said like, what's going on with Ilicic? Now, Ilicic is back home in Ljubljana. There are a few things going on. I don't really want to talk about the rumours that have come out about Ilicic, but it's nothing to do with him. He's just going through some personal stuff apparently and he's back in Ljubljana training. But also... I think he had a problem with his lymph nodes a couple of years ago, which makes him a little bit vulnerable to COVID. And mm. I think that traveling hasn't been something he's wanted to do, but the club have basically given him some leave. I don't think he's going to play in the Champions League, which is a massive blow for Atalanta because as you said earlier, they look knackered. Yeah. Um, and actually the Champions League returning this week, the second legs of the round of 16 of Friday, I think. It also is going to be really tricky for Chelsea. Chelsea have got a hell of a lot of injuries now going into that Bayern game. Yeah. Which is a real shame for them because whilst I think Bayern would have been too strong anyway, I think it would have been a, would have been a fun tie. Um, 
but keeping you know they kept hold of Willian and Pedro for the Champions League knockouts and now obviously Pedro's going to be out Pulisic is out and Aspilicueta is yeah, out yeah that tie's done do you know what there's an amazing amazing um, article that Wayne Rooney did a column that he does for the Times about the Champions League and he tipped Man City or Atleti wow. and his reasoning is so interesting and I was thinking about it in that context and like I love Atalanta but they're leaky yeah. they're so leaky at the back um, they're so leaky and I think PSG will exploit those gaps there's just too many holes and they've gone unfortunately I think they're just you know here's the thing they are the 13th biggest wage bill in, in, in Serie A and they just looked a bit tired in the last few games mm. although they've high, got I mean yeah. PSG are going to miss a few players as well Mbappe's going to be out prim, prim, so but just the back line though you know the defence yeah I mean it's going to be really interesting I mean we will cover them on next week's show because I think they Champions League knockouts are Friday let's get out of here we hope everyone's staying safe and well and hope everyone's doing all right. we are going to do a what if episode on Thursday we are indeed so if you would like to tweet us at Stadio you can tweet us your what ifs or you can email us stadiofootball at gmail.com try and get through as many as possible any other admin no just generally my cheesy normal farewell make sure to take care of each other stay hydrated stay hydrated yeah of course all right we'll be back on thursday we're playing out on robert rental acc stay well everyone all good see you then